Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. All right. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and uh, welcome to New Cyber Frontier. Um, we've uh, already established kind of Dr. Gorak's uh, dissertation as a continuation. We talked about the series um, and some of the things that, uh, that were in the last podcast was truly about trust. We evolved it into the concept of trust, the use of Dr. Gorak's research to uh, figure out how data, the consumption of data in, in cybersecurity and the impacts that potentially this specific type of research can apply. Um, and the disruption um, specific things in the marketplace, like uh, the digital transformation concepts that have evolved, AI, things of that nature. Um, so tell us a little bit about the uh, what you think this is going to imply on, on the market itself, cybersecurity. So when we talk about digital transformation, we really talk about the virtual world, the internet, right? And um, and cybersecurity, it implies itself on on that uh, digital footprint on top of the virtual world that we call the internet, the world, the wide world web, www. Um, so how do you think this tool is going to evolve or support or what, what do you think some of the advantages, disadvantages might be with, with such research? Yeah. So um, I think this, 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 this requires a story of what led me to, to the realization that what, uh, what the realization was that cybersecurity is the economic controls in the digital virtual world. Yeah. Um, and uh, the story starts, we'll say, back in mid-2000s um, where I worked for a company that did, and I did cryptographic applications. I was a cryptologist. I was a tech guy. I sat in the back room. We turned out the lights mostly so we could work on the black screen and not hurt our eyes. I'm just joking about that. You know, the, the, the tech guy that lives in the basement is kind of the joke I'm making. Yeah, the closet engineer. <laughs> anyway, I got a call from marketing and they're like, hey, you need to talk to this person. They want to know how to, you know, how to solve a problem they have. And somebody picked, I picked up the phone. They started telling me about a business problem uh, and um, how they need to solve their business problem, their logistics. Uh, and, um, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a tech guy. Uh, I think you, you need to talk to somebody somewhere else. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. You helped our competitors do this using cryptology. And I was kind of taken back because I didn't remember doing that. Um, yeah. You know, at the time, I didn't put the two together. Um, but anyway, uh, this company explained how that they were on a terrible problem area with their supply chain. And yeah. they'll say they described their supply chain at that point was a single product that they were manufacturing and putting out and everybody was using. And their single product would go on the market and they would have copies and clones and software on it to to the to negate its purposes within six months. And the value of that new device they released, they could only sell them for uh, you know sixty percent in six months. In a year, it was going down. They had all kinds of clones. They had problems with with in, you know malicious injection. We'll say it it is. And they were servicing ninety five percent of their warranty and service costs were on the products that weren't really theirs. And they mm. said our competitor doesn't have this problem at all. 
And I was like, well, okay, well, who's, you know, and went into who that was. And I'll give you an, you know, I'll give you that name in, in a bit here because we can talk about it probably now. It's been long enough, but, um, in 2007, we had this shift that had been going on since the early 2000s into overseas manufacturing. Um, and the companies were taking their products to get them made for a quarter of the price overseas in a, in droves. And you weren't doing well unless you could keep up with how fast you could outsource. Um, but then all these, these, com these components, these products made, left us sending our intellectual property into countries, into places in the world where we weren't certain about what that was going to do. And these company, this company found out that they would send a part overseas to get manufactured. They would order 2 million and 6 million would get made. And the other 4 million would be sold out the loading dock and they would be competing with their own products all over the world in the market and had no way to control it. Their competitor had implemented cybersecurity to control the identity, the turn on codes, the software loading of mm. every single device that they made. And this competitor was taking off while they were plummeting through to the bottom. Yeah. Uh, and this competitor could sell every product that they made two models old at 80% of its original value. They could keep their, their pricing high so they could keep good talent. They could keep, you know, having the best pro you know, products. They had an image of quality and they were taking off in the rest of the world. All the products, their similar competitors were falling off the map. Yeah. And the difference was they had implemented cybersecurity, cybersecurity to identify their products, to identify the things that connected to it, to identify the accessories, to identify their software that went to it, to sell their files that came off of it. So you're, you're telling me cybersecurity was a good thing? Cybersecurity is the control <laughs> for economics in the virtual yeah. world. Yeah. And that company that was taking off, we all know them now as their little Apple computer. They had set up for protectionism, cybersecurity controls on all their products, closed ecosystem, which we everybody hated at the time. And yeah. they're literally the only one of several of their competitors that, that are left because of this. They're the only ones that could keep the revenue in their company and not yeah, I know that, uh, to I, everyone else. And cybersecurity is the controls of the post-digital transformation era. Whether the company has it, whether the individual has those controls, cybersecurity yeah. is the thing that controls the economics of the future. And we all have to know how to use it. We have to have the tools that do it. That's where I come from and what we've put together. Well, that's interesting because a lot of times when you look at cybersecurity, most people will say that it works against the productivity of the business goals. Um, and essentially, in my in my experiences, um, eventually you have to kind of prove yourself and proof yourself. Um, but just with the conversation, uh, the story you just said, it's certainly if you understand the way the phones and Apple uh, and iPhones, things like that have matured uh, and the safe protection of, of the individual's private um information today essentially i think a lot of people um they want to have something it helps them because the phone um that they have is naturally who they are right of that particular sense of themselves and the way they connect to the world um, and i think that's essential there has to be that measure of trust implied with the devices and mobile 
infrastructure that's there. And you're saying that cybersecurity played a massive role in the very beginning with specifics to safeguarding information, which has helped them evolve over time into being that first go-to biggest uh, factor of, of me gaining my mobile phone, my connection to the world uh, in a way that it makes people feel safe. So that's, that's interesting. Um, so what kind of, um, in the digital landscape today, um, the, the effects of cybersecurity um, with this particular type of element, and we get into, um, well, you were saying encryption, right? Um, so what kind of algorithms, things of that nature, how does that impact the explosiveness of how specific research that you're doing, how does that employed or involve itself into, into such things that are current as far as algorithms, security measures, and you're applying this to the mobile network, the types of devices that we interact with, not just the computer, but mainly mobile devices. I mean, iPhones. Let's go with iPhones. Yeah. What's the implications there? So, so the 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 ability to control cybersecurity, as we talked about for an organization, they spend a lot of money to put that in place. As yeah, yeah, we discussed the compliance, the amount of money. So now, to if you what what types of things you know my work is looking at is empowering down to the individual level putting those controls and some people hate to hear the word controls but let's say they're economic controls that make you able to keep your digital enforcement your money in the virtual world your yeah. data doesn't go into the pool and become everybody's immediately your the fruit of your efforts, whether it's physical or digital in the post digital transformation age is all virtual. So now we have to have a way to, st to put those economic controls and give them individually to whoever needs to use them. And that's the pieces that I work to, to, to take what is the, the, the philosophical base pieces that are needed to make that happen. They have to exist before the, the rest can grow on it. So identifying the problem, putting the base pieces into operation to right. make those controls available is what all my work has been about. Yeah, and the perspective of uh, you know, design, security by design. Um, yeah, so, I mean, from the bases, like the components you're referring to that could be incorporated generally into uh, today's current systems, things of that nature that will help it expand in a natural sense to evolve into more secure methods. Mm -hmm. um, can you elaborate a little bit on how that might impose? I mean, as we start in this baseline concept of what you're doing as far as um, the design methods um, and how does that apply to new systems? Yeah. Old systems, so legacy systems. The base is, and this is where I think that the, the compliance really they overcomplicate and they, they cause more problems than they, they make by making 10,000 things. Uh, that's a, that's a little bit of exaggeration. We'll say two or 300 things you have to comply with and all right. these line items you get to go through and a spreadsheet nightmare that really we spend all our time updating the spreadsheet and <laughs> then we, you know, actually doing anything and we pay all our people to update the spreadsheet. I worked for one of the big four consulting firms. They had a spreadsheet between six and 7,000 line items. Yeah, represented every compliance you could possibly comply with all put together. And that's how many there is. Now, each company is going to narrow that down and only have a subset of that. 
but it's yeah. just tremendously outrageous. Uh, it, my 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 look at it is in there's only seven things we do, and if we can narrow down to seven things and have yeah. everybody understand those seven things, wouldn't that be much simpler? And I always use the example of the art. Um, every picture, every painting, every piece of artwork in the world has nine components. We have color, line, form, uh, parallax, texture, uh, mm. value. Uh, I can't, I don't know. There's a couple more I might not know off the top of my head. Uh, for, space, I think, is one. Uh, but any of the, if, if you study in art school every single one of those, you could put any artwork together and you could find that those components in everywhere artwork ever made. And there's millions of different pieces of artwork right now. There's yeah. millions of different pieces of cybersecurity software operations equipment. They're only doing seven things. And if we can learn the seven things and then not only learn them, but put them into tools where we yeah, can implement practice. them, we simplify all these thousands of line items of things to seven yeah. things. And we make sure that those seven things are met in the areas they have to be met in and compliance is maintained. And the, the future of maintaining compliance is to simplify. And that's, that's where I started. What are those seven things? Um, is that a question you want me to go over? I can, but well, implementing yeah. those seven things into, and we'll say people don't like the word controls. I hear that all the time. Yeah. What are the seven economic things? features that I can individually control around my post digital transformation world. Yeah. So connect the dots a little bit about the economical factor with the human aspect of privacy um, and how these seven things, how does that imply in, in a person's common understanding uh, of themselves and today, how, how they, how they are influenced by the digital transformation portion. Yeah. So I'll tell you what you want post-digital transformation. You want your data to be yours, yeah. to be contained, to be able to give it to who you want to give it to and know that they used it in a way that you gave them authorization to use it in. Yeah. And that they haven't just distributed it to everybody else. They haven't just made it part of theirs. Because everything you do in your life is, is going to be virtual. So, mm -hmm. And you want them to sign for it and tell you that they they did what they did. And then right. you want to be able to prove with an audit trail that they did it. And you want to be able to identify new people that you've never interfaced with before in a world of a billion people and know how well you can trust their track record of doing those things for you before you give them any of these accesses. Yeah. That's what you want. Yeah, kind of the rest, is, the rest is, a, is, a, is a thousand different pieces of software that are made yeah. for a company to control your, the, you know, the data in their collection. And we're struggling with cybersecurity when it's really a simple thing. Yeah, and I think that goes to a personal level, too, because um, a lot in, in what I do for a company, um, we drive the aspects of personal perspective, too. Um, not only do we talk about the company and its safeguards, but we talk about how those safeguards can apply to everyday life. A lot of times when we do training factors that involve awareness, uh, phishing, mainly you know, those phishing uh, campaigns, um, we talk a lot about um, when we're in front of, especially the audience of, of the employees in some companies, we speak a lot to the, the 
preserving your personal rights uh, through mobile devices and things of that nature and how to safeguard yourself among those. Uh, and things like we use use of email every day. Uh, it's one of the three things we text. Uh, it's very rare that we actually talk on the phone, um, but we use text, we use email, which is a lot of typing for us uh, in your computers. Um, but we, we look at those dynamics at home, perspectives from the house. I mean, so these types of tools that you're talking about could evolve into also individuals safeguarding not only in company levels, but individual levels too. Mm -hmm. And how, how does that trend in the marketplace? I mean, what kind of perspective does a cybersecurity person, when, when you start seeing these types of things perspective-wise, they trend in, in your uh, trust factors start to play and deploy. I mean, what kind of impacts can it have for future efforts in the market? Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, if you're working, in, you're working in an organization that's actually pretty progressive, if they're starting to think that way. They're actually yeah. looking into the zero trust and the individualization of, of privacy, which is, you know, further along, I'd say, in the progression, the migration of corporates, corporate organizations and entities than most. And I yeah. know, you know, the, the place where you're talking about is a government entity that we would want to have those type of individual controls on and, and right. whatever. So uh, I, I applaud what you're what you're kind of bringing to light that that's actually happening. Um, yeah. And uh, because that's part of your mission, I would say that you're probably one of the rare organizations that that does that because it is part of your mission. And it's almost like a public accountability. So the the um, the what does that do for the market in the in the future is, you know, I would say the example of what Colorado has asked for, which, you know, it's been slow getting it to them. But the the politicians in Colorado said, how can we make our government accountable to its citizens? Right. You know, if we can we don't want to say, OK, we're in ultimate control. You just have to do whatever we tell you we want to say everything we do is wide open and you have the right to make sure we're doing a good job and i think this you know my philosophy is that that's that's the approach of the future and that's the companies that's the organizations that will ultimately be sought after until we get to the individualized privacy capability the companies that take that role and say oh, we're going to be as transparent as possible are the ones that the 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 uh, the people are going to start flocking to as as a user base? Yeah, yeah. And in your the research you're doing, um, it kind of implies the the ability to to create that integral trust to let people make those decisions as they see they should and protect themselves. Um, we talked about the data pool. You know, if you keep putting things in the pool, then you lose the identity of the information truly, where it came from, what its origins are, uh, and the perspective of most uh, individuals that use the type of data to do specific things. And I guess there's natural reality to that, but there's also, they just forget about the really consensual trust factor that implies. Um, your research also implies the, the um, trust factor training into the home, uh, into everyday devices that we use. Um, how does that differ from what you see from your previous story we talked about in the mobile device arena? Um, how does that influence or change? How is that different? You know, do the contrast comparison for me on mm -hmm. how you think this is this is more or advantage disadvantage 
what are those types of things in between? What's the differences? Yeah. So let's say the, the, the back to the mobile devices, the philosophy of trust there is that you're trusting your provider. Yeah. Still quite heavily. And you choose your provider. Does anybody ever question some of the, you know, the big four mobile providers are doing something bad for them? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. That's a question to rise. Do you trust your mobile provider? Yeah. Um, but they, you know, they start out with trust. If you go into that, that's the store to buy your phone and they wiggle that little card out of the plastic and it, it the SIM chip, right? Yeah. So that is the provisioning of your individual trust root components to your phone. So it participates on their network. Yeah. Um, they're not really keeping track of how you trust other phones on the network, how you trust other people. They're giving you an individualized service. Yeah. which is empowering to the individual, an individualized service. That's that's what draws consumers to any market is the ability to have empowerment for them. You give it to the company and they just have to be a part of it. They don't have any, any, any vested interest there. You give it to them, they're empowered. And that's where we migrate is giving that trust to them. The company knows whether they trust you as a, as a, as a consumer, as a customer, they know where you've been and know where you're going, whether they share it or not, whether you trust them to, to keep that from anybody else or to sell it, which they may, and I'm not going to point any fingers at companies, but they probably all sell that information. And that's a secondary way to make money. That's why they can keep your service low. And the ones that keep your service low, probably the cost low are probably selling that information more than the ones that have high service agreements. So just kind of keep that in mind. If their price is cheaper, they're making it up somewhere else. But now that trust doesn't extend at all to the consumer. The consumer is just a pole that gets service. Yeah. The individualized trust now that could go to everybody. This is why people were so excited about cryptocurrency. It kind of individualized trust to everybody without including that company. It was empowering. Third party. It's empowering. Yeah. So, now, when we say taking cybersecurity trust to the individual, we're you know make the research we've been doing is making the individual components to make everything you do as trusted and as contained as that cryptocurrency account. Yeah. So, I think it's very empowering, and I think in com in comparison to the the mobile you know market, they have that for themselves, and it's in their collection. The trust is theirs, and they 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 know how they trust you, but it doesn't go two ways and it's not available for the consumer. Yeah. So your research is basically getting into to personalizing trust uh, at the individual level, almost across the board, across not the only board. for companies, but for home life, uh, the, et cetera. And as you expand into this idea, so give me a little bit about the background behind where you think um, the consensus of the costs, when you talk about variables, costs and, how this implies to the to the rest of the world. What do you think on a typical day, we'll say an individual, the, the cost variables that might apply to it? I know that, you know, with the mobile phone, we have service, we pay for the service a lot of times. Is that something particular that you see is coming through the trend of such specifics in this research? Or is it, I mean, how does it evolve into factors that really allows the individual to customize with what type of expenses, what type of, uh, you got to buy a new tool. Do you got to implement something new? Do you got to attach something to the phone? Do you, I mean, how is that going to affect the overall factors when you're applying such individual trust? Yeah. And um, 
<clears throat> with any, we'll say, new disruptive technology, things have to grow from the ground up. Right. You know, um, the the most disruptive things, big companies that already have a market aren't going to implement something that's disruptive to their own technology. They're going to try to ignore it and bury it as much as possible. So yeah. you're going to see this this come out from the the niche providers at first, yeah. and the organizations that you have to use multiple vendors, and almost like that's disruptive to we'll say a big area you're looking at this is we'll say, I'll give you two of them, uh, the medical industry, hospitals, the service providers oh, yeah. use information and tools, software systems connected by from hundreds of different vendors. Yeah, the utility, utility industry. They use equipment on the grid provided by hundreds of different vendors. Those organizations, like a utility company or a hospital chain, have a, a vested interest in getting all their vendors in, in a uniform trust. That's so. going to be your progressive parties for, for transforming this. Uh, okay. And then you'll see it come down to the individual, uh, where now the individual has that individualized trust, but it's, it starts in, in a B2B digital transformation where the value is gained from trusting the other companies and in, in the, for the most part, the other vendors. How do you think like in the healthcare industry, that will impact the cybersecurity profession? I mean, where does that trend the cybersecurity profession? Let's say that this works 100% perfect as it trends through what it does. I'm, like with all technologies, there are things there that will evolve, um, and it's a great idea as far as where how you've researched and what you've said about it so far. But where do you, how do you think the cybersecurity it'll affect the cybersecurity professional? Let's say in the healthcare industry or maybe the utilities. What do so, they think? Yeah, in 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 the healthcare industry, you have you have kind of two components of um, or two main users of cybersecurity and their features. One being the data, the, mm -hmm. the, the client's medical history, the data produced by, by, um, by users, the, the medical record that follows everybody and thousands of users, medical records are kept by insurance companies, by hospitals. And it's this, the databasing of, of data. The other side in the medical industry is the, the devices that produce data and maybe 50 of them in one OR are producing data about one user that go into one healthcare record. And yeah. so there's kind of two sides in that industry that is the, 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 the cybersecurity related to all those devices, yeah. which in, in many aspects is, is um, almost non-existent. Um, it, it's a very un, we'll say that that the medical professionals think about caring for patients, not about how their technology cybersecurity is. So it's, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an unknown as far as where that would go in creating whole new industries. And that's the management of the, the information and the collection of it is really where that industry sits in cybersecurity. The, the data, the data management of the records is in, you know, repositories. Um, and the, the, the maintaining of that and maintaining of compliance, especially with the HIPAA and the privacy requirements. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a massive idea. I think most of us have beliefs that, you know, within the systems, 
that we go and see the doctor with those transitions of information. I don't know if they understand the background. Most people just don't, they just want it to work. They want to know that when they go, um, I know over the past year, I've been to the doctor more times than the, I think in the, in my entirety of my life. Um, but I oftentimes think, uh, even as a, as an IT person, uh, the amount of connections, uh, that data that goes through that process when I show up, um, days before I show up, the, the ability to open my phone and look and log in and, and know that the safeguard, there's methods, there's regulations that have to apply. And there's, there, um, you know, th those types of things, it influences um, the way we, who we see, what we see, and why we see them as health. Um, and I think with your type of research, I think it's going to influence and impact in a way that's positive because think about the fluency of this ability um, that you're talking about. Um, and just the once it does work itself into a rhythm, um, which the concepts are there and everything, it's working into what factors healthcare would need, right? The industry itself, what kind of dynamics would apply? And then the compliance measures too, how easy would that be? Now, I mean, the trust factors will start to uh, evolve into more and more consistencies, um, mm -hmm. especially through this type of ledger and exchange. Um, but it just sounds like to me there's a positive factor. Yeah. And it sounds like that, I mean, really the fluency and the ease, the, the type of things that with cybersecurity, they have less worry on this side and more about maybe other things that apply. The compliancy measures, they have less worry about specifics when it comes to mobile devices. Bluetooth, yeah. things that evolve into problems, especially with components that we use in our bodies, that mm -hmm. telemetry, things like that, that go back to help consistently help individuals that have those particular types of things in them support what it's doing to give them, you know, the, the comparable piece of life. So, yeah, I mean, I could see how genuinely this could really, it, 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 I think it relieves people of stress somewhat and the yeah. way it looks like it's predicted to go. So. I think you, you asked how would it change the cybersecurity practitioner's life? Yeah. Um, and I, I'd say, you know, with those two sides, the, the, the medical industry, the, the accessibility to one piece of data may become a little bit more restrictive because yeah. the user is going to have to be more in, and the user is going to be more involved the, yeah. the the patient, not the user, the patient's going to have to be more involved because they would have closer access and controls like, HIPAA is, is is actually wanting to have on 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 privacy that are individually controlled by the the patient. Yeah, that's, um, so that's you would have less access, less less scrutiny over large data sets that could be compromised, but you'd have a little more interaction and control structure from each patient with their data set as it went through. And I think that's how you would see a change in that industry. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think that also means that larger data sets that can be compromised, that those days would eventually disappear. Because if yeah, you look the, at it, it really crunches data. smaller set data. Yeah. This means you have more control over your own individual type of digital footprint. So mm -hmm. I think that's that concept, too, is where the type of research you're doing is that's what it's evolving to. Um, something that I think everyone has in the back of their mind when they get on and do you know, banking, order something from the store, things like that. Amazon, everyone's looking at that compromising, thinking the same thing. I think everyone does. I do. 
when you get on there, you're thinking, well, the next hacker, what happens, you know, when the next hack happens? Big emphasis on shutting down ransomware, things like that. Well, it's interesting concepts. We'll continue in the next iPod or <laughs> podcast, sorry. Um, <clears throat> and um, and actually, yeah, we run out of time. So any last commentary you'd like to put out there for this? No, I, I think that uh, we keep talking about this free range data and the change yeah. to individualization and uh, come back for more. Yeah, and it, it is explosive to the and, and it will put a it'll put an interruption. It'll change it dynamically. The marketplace that we're talking about, cybersecurity in general, will, will be influenced by it as well. So, all right. Well, thanks for being on the show, Dr. Korok. Uh, and we'll see you with the next podcast, I'm sure. Um, we can't wait for the next pieces, next couple podcasts, and the next couple series. I think, I don't know about you, but what plan we were planning on trying to do, what was it at least four, maybe five, somewhere in there in that arena to talk about more about the discovery process that you've over the last seven years driven to your dissertation. So. Okay, well, <clears throat> this is your host, Tim Montgomery, and uh, this is the uh, last or the end of the edition for today's New Cyber Frontier. Uh, I hope everybody has a good time and uh, and be safe out there. So, uh, And uh, we'll see you the next time. All right, bye-bye, everybody. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security.